This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When I go home late at night, this is a song that I really like to sing right now, so I'll play it for you. It's uh, called My Old Man. Rodriguez. Gonna have a go in off the post. Two goals in four minutes for West Bromwich Albion. And they're 2-0 up against their rivals. Jay Rodriguez doubles the advantage right before the break. Welcome to the My Old Man Said podcast. I'm David Michael, the editor of MyOldManSaid.com. And joining me on another fantastic show, Dan Rogers of TheVillaUnderground.com. Welcome to the end of season party. The end of the world and the beginning of the park. Oh, I want to be part of the park. You're on the beach, my lord. This is John Terry's business plan. He thought, right, I'm starting a swimwear company. I'm going to start a swimwear company. How can I get more money out of this? How can I uh, (laughs) maximise my profits? Ah, I know. I will become a coach of a football club, probably that Aston Villa one, because I've already got links there, so that should should be a shoe-in. Ruin their season early. All the players will be on the beach. I'll be able to sell them uh, swimming trunks and uh, bikinis uh, in February, ahead of schedule. Master business plan by John Terry. Master business plan. What did Bruce say about uh, the season only really begins when the daffodils start to uh, arrive? I'm sure it was when you could smell the hot dogs. It was always when you could smell the hot dogs from Bruce. When the when the hot dogs are bushing out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by the daffodils. But uh, I don't think there's going to be any daffodils this year, unfortunately. Just They've all been killed by Dean Smith's toxic This is going to be poison. some comeback, though, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> You didn't expect Neil Taylor to fire us to promotion, but when it happens, my God, it's going to be some party. Well, all all these people uh, who are trying to summarise why it's all gone wrong and and they're all saying uh, Grealish is out. Grealish comes back in this next week or two and fires us to 10 consecutive wins, then I will believe their uh, (laughs) synopsis of why we have failed this season. But until then... Until then, you can just lie awake at night dreaming to be someone like Bristol City. So anyway, coming up in the show, we will end the show with a big debate on Dean Smith. We will try to make sense of some of the... uh, 
conspiracy theories, the lame comparisons that uh, people are telling themselves just so they can sleep at night regarding uh, Dean Smith's uh, managerial career so far and the next season. The rational way of looking at uh, Dean Smith so far and what we should be expecting, what we can expect. Uh, We'll also have the the normal three points to kick off the show where we go to uh, crazy Italian games, an interesting Welsh stroke French situation and also the the, um, the result of Spygate as well. And along the way, we will discuss the Beggies game. We'll uh, probably sniff at the uh, Brentford game a little. Uh, we'll talk about toxicness at Villa Park. We'll talk about being part of the park. And back by popular demand, the Scott Hogan touch count meter will uh, reappear. For he has graced a football pitch once again. And he has feet, confirmed. <laughs> right, um... At the top of the show, you heard, uh, I think I mentioned this on Twitter, uh, I was watching the Baggies game and there was uh, a couple of seats away behind me. There was, uh, she must have been about four year, four years old, this girl, very sweet girl who was, and that, that footage actually came, it was a, probably around the 90th minute. She threw out the whole game and that footage was basically, all you can hear is the Baggies away fans versus this one four-year-old Villa supporting girl. She took them on on her own. The Villa youth. Where the rest of you were, I have no idea. But uh, an, out- an outstanding effort. And that was probably the only ray of light I, uh, I've got from Villa in the last few weeks. I just thought the youth bring us hope. It was a bad seven days. Should have been nine points, shouldn't it? It was a nine-point week. And Apparently. we ended up with one. And that was basically Villa getting... Villa's playoff hopes being kneecapped within the space of a week. Right, before we get into uh, the three points, I just want to give a quick shout-out. I haven't done any uh, patron shout-outs for the last week or so. So, thank you very much, Mr. Leighton Nunn, Mark Parry as well, Tom Clark, Paul McAllister, Rob Hayes, Kevo Sullivan. Also, thanks very much to Gary Hogan, Patrick Singleton, and Anders Vilken for, and I'm guessing at that pronunciation, for upping their pledges as well. And please do uh, help the show. We're looking to uh, get some mics in, so uh, any help will help us improve the quality of the show because we're still trying to battle how we record it. And if we can improve the quality of the initial recording, then that makes editing quicker and we can do easily do two shows instead of one a week. So please become a patron. Go to myoldmanset.com and check out the patron option on the menu bar. Also, if you're listening on iTunes and Spotify, please follow and subscribe as well and uh, if you want to uh, get closer to us and communicate more with us join the mad few facebook group as well the link is uh, in the program notes and i'll also put it up again on twitter etc trips to the park included actually i had a good weekend actually the only thing that ruined it was west brom <laughs> as always. I, I was out to about 6 a.m entertaining norwegian villains with a great over got a great flag uh Fight like lions, drink like Vikings. Love it. And I took him to the Digbeth Diner, which was uh, very good as always. Then Solid we choice. Picked up some new friends and ended up at the Old Crown before I coerced people to the Night Owl. And from the Night Owl, we ended up at some gay club and we converted the Norwegian <laughs> villain. <laughs> no, actually, I got propositioned. And then Dave tried to drive ho- ride a bike home. Drunk. At six in the morning. Uh, and I, I didn't achieve one straight line. But the hardest part was getting up in the morning to go to Villa Park. And uh, the only way I managed that was, in the end, was just to call a Uber and just 
kind of roll into it and get him to drop me off at the doorstep. In the centre circle. Yeah. Chris, the Norwegian, our Viking friend, told me at Brentford behind the goal, he, he was talking to some Villa fan and he said, oh, that David Michael, he's a wanker. He doesn't even live in Birmingham. Sorry to disappoint you and disappoint myself. I, I do live in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> Such civic pride. <laughs> Let's get on to Talk these about three points. Shitting on your doorstep. Oh, now, dear. Digbeth Diner stands proud. It's uh, one of the it finest establishments. It stands up against anything in the whole world. So that's where I plant my uh, flag for Birmingham. Anyway, moving on to the three points. Chris Bud, kick us off. Starting off this week with you know proof that there's always somebody who's worse off than you, even in the darkest days of Villa, with Italian team <laughs> Pro Piacenza, who managed to field seven players against Chineo, I think they're pronounced. It had six youth team players and a masseur, which is a very strong way to uh, play a team. So they only managed seven players because everybody else hasn't been paid. So everyone else refused that to turn up. could have been us so easily, couldn't it? We'd have been yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. And they had, uh, a, they had an 18-year-old who was both the captain and the manager. Was, who's, who's that guy who's Jack Grealish's physio? Is it Ollie Stevenson? He could have been the captain and manager this season. And wow. we'd probably still be challenging for the playoffs. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, controversial. <laughs> and and you know, local media outlet Sport Piacenza were so appalled, they decided to stop their live feed of the game after three minutes, which uh, <laughs> wasn't a bad idea because it ended up 20-0. Oh. 16-0 at halftime, though, so a sterling second-half performance. And they did quite well yeah, second very half. Good. Right, point number two, Dan Rogers. I don't know why it is that running a website like I do, I get all the ones involving liti- litigation. But uh, this story, <laughs> uh, it is my specialist area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my niche. It's my niche. Especially it's your field of expertise. Your field of expertise. Uh, and, and this is the, it's becoming slightly more unsavory, isn't it, now with the uh, Emiliano Sala saga, I suppose. And it's all coming down to money after the, the tragedy. And it always key to does. this is. Well, it always does, and you know it's a lot of money, circa circa fifteen million pounds or euros. I mean, it's not a lot between it these days. But it's uh, the story is that Cardiff are, are looking to sue Nantes, and it has implications, I think, particularly for into the world of agents because it's transpiring uh, in leaked emails that the agent might have inflated the price on the suggestion there were other interested parties. When lo and behold, there were none. So that's interesting so to think that. Um, it, has Cardiff already paid? No, they've not. Uh, they've been sitting on it, and I think they've probably been sitting on it for two reasons. Probably maybe out of respect, because I, I do believe he was only his funeral was only a few days ago, and um, yeah. perhaps whilst they're considering their position, because there's some debate over who whether he'd actually completed his signing, isn't there? Because his registration to the Premier League, I don't think, had gone through. Yeah. Uh, in other news, point number three. Finally, uh, the English Football League have announced. Well, they've come. They've reached their conclusion, as their email said. That Leeds United did in observing opponents' training sessions is in breach of Regulation 3.4. No, not 3.4. Oh, Oh, yes, (laughs) 3.4. 3.4 provides that in all matters and transactions relating to the league, each club shall behave towards each other club and the league in the utmost good faith. When have we ever? 
behaved in the utmost good faith to any team. So, you know, that's regulation 3.4. Villa concede 3.4 goals a game. That is the utmost yeah. good faith. <laughs> you do have a very valid point there. We're, if we're not giving away three points, we're giving away three goals at least. Could you imagine what, what if someone spied on the Villa? What they, <laughs> would, they, would they get fined for spying on the Villa? <laughs> They'd get laughed at. Well, anyway, Leeds were fined uh, 200,000 inclusive of a contribution to costs and as we as we said when we mentioned this on the podcast a few uh, episodes ago we, we knew they would suddenly bring in some law which they have done which is basically saying clubs will be expressly prohibited from viewing the opposition training in the 70 two hours immediately prior to the fixture, unless invited to do so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we would invite people to prove we do actually practice. No, no, honestly, we do. We do practice corners, set pieces and attacking occasionally. Yeah. Right, before we get on to Villa matters, although you could argue this is loosely linked to uh, Aston Villa, <laughs> uh, big news, uh, Scott Hogan has entered the field of play and so we can click on the touch count meter. He managed actually 90 minutes, which is uh, some kind of... Uh, miracle uh, when you look back at his no time injuries Aston, either no injuries bagged an assist and what is what is this sorcery 24 touches which uh probably the last two seasons in a villa shirt combined uh probably got to about 22 touches uh, and that was in Sheffield united's 4-0 win over reading that's how you deal with reading villa took two points off reading the blades just blow them away 4-0 that's how that's how you that's how you men to deal with reading isn't it amazing how the 3-3 draw that we had was supposed to be our springboard for for rejuvenating our season yet it's been Sheffield united's uh ticket to, yeah. to to remind themselves that actually they're quite a good team yeah because they uh they also beat middlesbrough mm-hmm. in the next game they uh, after they did draw and i noticed that uh, chris wilder rotates his forwards he mm-hmm. uh, he played sharp against middlesbrough and then against reading they they rested their normal front two mm-hmm. forwards and uh put hogan in and uh i, f- I forgot who the other chap is and they medine isn't it is it Gary Medine? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And then they've got the lad uh, from Ipswich as well, haven't they? So there you've got a manager who uh, seems to know exactly what he's doing to uh, ensure uh, at least a playoff anyway. I think they're, they're still in with a good shout, I think, of mm. bagging automatic. Mm. Leeds, you know, Leeds, Leeds are lucky because they've got a couple of easy fixtures, but if they slip up there, then uh, I think Sheffield United uh, are still very much in the mix. I think the baggies are as well. I think it's two from those four, realistically. Norwich. I think, you know, one of those four, I think, is going to be very lucky that they don't go up be automatically yeah. in the playoffs because those four teams are all pretty deserving of you know a, a shot yeah uh, very quickly I, I i can't believe this is the best marketing tagline they could come up with for it no let, 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 let's let's it is the worst marketing tagline yeah. they could possibly <laughs> s- save for having brought that girl back from the middle east who was been with isis and putting and parading her as a new player this is the worst thing that they could possibly have done Can, please continue i, am, Mr. I <laughs> am part of the park Dan, can you please uh, regale what uh, you read to me earlier on? Uh, I think it was a tweet that you noticed. I just, it's that bad. I was almost in disbelief. But there's a fantastic tweet um, from Ms. Gilbert1805 on Twitter, which says, Did anyone else notice the new season ticket posters saying, Part of the park, now instead of part of the pride? We're no longer prepared and no longer have pride. So what's left? Oh, the park. We still have the park. So let's use that. Oh, I can't wait to be part of the park. Said no one fucking ever. <laughs> Jesus, it's so bad. And I invite people to go onto the club website and it they have uh, also colluded to produce the worst set of graphics ever. 
in graphic design to accompany them. It's dreadful. <laughs> Woeful. People got paid good money to come up with this um, in the marketing department. But, you know, why Why pay like 500-odd quid? I'm going to become part of the park by just going to Cannon Hill Park, I think. It's for free. And it's fun and relaxing. No, exactly. It doesn't infuriate you week in, week out. There's plenty of parks in Birmingham. It's one of the biggest green belt cities in this country. So if you want to be part of the park, choose your nearest park and uh, <laughs> just hang out there on a Saturday for free. Part of the park. Oh, I'm going to just, just start bringing your dog to Villa Park. That'll confuse them. <laughs> yeah. Bring some bread for the ducks and uh, away you, you just go. just go cruising in the park after dark. Oh, damn, that's Canuck Chase. Oh, you know, it's my <laughs> neck of the woods. Look, litigation and Canuck Chase, they're my two niche areas. <laughs> We're not going to go into too much detail in the recent games. <laughs> because they were shit. <laughs> Brentford, it, it would take us about 10 seconds to describe our possession uh, in that game because uh, pretty much every time a ball... I don't, I don't think mm. that we strung two passes together. Every time uh, a Brentford player put a misplaced pass in or uh, a got, Villa got a tackle in, suddenly the ball was straight back to him like it was a hot potato or something. And that was kind of embarrassing. I mean, the most you can say about Villa is I thought they were organised uh, defensively better than they have been for a long time. Mm. Although Brentford were making a meal of possession. Uh, yeah, the Brentford overplayed, didn't they? It staggered me that actually Villa probably had the two best chances of the game and wasted them. Yeah, and that was also uh, a problem before West Brom scored as well. We had uh, a great Tammy Abraham chance. My my overriding thing from the Brentford game was Smith's post-match interview where he said, you know, obviously their performance has been built over three years and we knew what was going to come our way. And you think, wow, that's kind of the the crap that Bruce was coming out with for a while in that, well, if you knew that what was coming your way and you've had weeks to prepare them, Mm. either A, what were you doing on the training field or B, bloody hell, those players didn't you know, put your plan into action very well. It's taken three years to build a team that before that game kicked off were 18th in the championship. Yes, it was the first time I heard the pre- first time I've heard an entire press conference from him and you I think thought, wow. What, what, it, was, it was a bit of a let's big up the Brentford show as well. And yeah, I, thought, I think you could tell his, his pride was really hurt. Well, we, we would. I thought we were very. I thought we were bang average, and we had two great chances, and we should have took them, but we didn't. And the the glaring thing for me, and it carried into the Albion game, is that what's our what's our measure now for being a good team? Because we didn't in neither game did we change it up or look at our. I think our formation was completely wrong in, in the Brentford game as well. Well, when when I see Villa fans on social media ejaculating over Brentford, <laughs> it, it really is a cause for concern yeah. in terms of the levels dropping. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no disrespect to Brentford, uh, you know, they punch above their weight, but there's so many deficiencies in that team. And if you look at and read articles by Brentford fans and Brentford websites, they spell out the deficiencies mm-hmm. in their team over the last few years and how Smith hit a glass ceiling. And we'll talk about Dean Smith uh, and Brentford in the second half of the show. But uh, and, and I'll also mention this comparison. I mean, one of the things back in the day when Graham Turner took over from Villa sorry, took over Villa from Tony Barton was, uh, you know, he was from Shrewsbury. He was one of his hot new English manager. There's a few comparisons with Smith, which uh, I'll mention later on. But when he started and his coaching staff started talking about this, what they used to do at Shrewsbury to the Villa mm. players, 
the Villa players who had just a couple of seasons ago won the European Cup, season before had won the Super Cup, as good as any team in in Europe. Suddenly you're being told, well, we do this at Shrewsbury. <laughs> and players lose a lot of respect. And I don't know if, if there's a little bit of that of what's suddenly happened now, because it's night and day between the first half dozen games under Smith to what's been happening uh, pretty much the whole of this year. Uh, West Brom, I thought, Darren, Big Dave, Darren Moore, as soon as he got that one-two sucker punch before uh, half time, just knew it was game, set and match. He set them up really deep. And uh, they obviously knew that Villa were capable of fighting back in games and just thought, right, we'll tighten it up, tighten all the spaces, make sure they there's you know there's, they can't get any traction down the flanks, make sure there's no space inside and uh, we'll see this game out. And we didn't have an answer. Unsurprisingly, Barry was the man of the match, you know, he was the best mm. player on the field by a mile. Yeah. And at, what, is he 37, 38 now? Gave them everything that we've lacked in midfield for months. You know, controlled the game, was physical, dictated the tempo, just dominated and very deservedly got a good stand innovation, actually, when he was subbed off. Yeah, and when you think about it, it's, it is perhaps his last ever game at Villa Park and he played approaching 450 games for Villa in all competitions and that's two, three, four times the amount of games that some Villa players played who are now called legends mm. on social media mentioning no names. And he was consistent like every and week. Was, and he was, I mean, I remember him in when he was making his first appearances in 98 under superb Gregory you know sometimes he played left back mm. sometimes he played uh, the left side of a three man uh, centre back setup and he was his control i remember being quite low in the trinity close to his touchline on the left hand side and i was like this guy's head and shoulders above these guys in terms of just natural skill and technique and control he just makes the game look easy doesn't he it's a, he's a very simple player he's not complicated and that's what made me think uh, about this eternal dm situation in terms of villa you know playing this Conor Horan quarterback or do you have somebody uh, who's allegedly a bit more uh, effervescent like Bjarnason or do you have Yedinak for the more aerial physical uh, defence uh, or Whelan to keep it ticking by there's there's nobody who's super composed like Barry is and, but Bam and, Barry does all of those things there's not but I, yeah. can, I can never recall if you were to plonk Barry into our team against the Albion that he would suffer like any any ball playing player would I think in, in, in the Villa team does at the moment yeah that, we have we don't seem to have any eight ball. No, there's no option. Abraham's very very isolated, and it seems the last few games that we've we've made one of the most potent strikers in the division, bafflingly isolated really. But just going back to Barry, people have short memories. I think that you know you just mentioned he played 450 games at, at, when Villa were at the top level, um, competing to be at the top table. To, to coin yeah. a phrase he used in a recent podcast. And he became a full England international, not because you know, not because we didn't have good midfielders at the time. That was when when England had very, very good central midfield options. So yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a measure of uh, of how far we've drifted, really. That a, a player who comes with all that experience and all his age can come to Villa Park and, and impress as he did. And some, you know, some I saw some people on social media saying it's disgusting that we'd give a round <laughs> of applause to a yeah. to an opposition player, and that's when you just think these are the types of idiots that uh, don't really get football. Mm and the traditions of football. I remember Villa fans giving Steven Gerrard a, a round of applause when he was subbed off when we played them in, in a one-all draw because he'd just bossed the whole mm. game. He was head and shoulders above everybody. And it was, it was football fans appreciating good players. Mm. And in this respect, as well as being the best man on the pitch in this particular game, obviously, potentially his last game ever. Yeah, there's context, Park, isn't it? Played 12 years at the club. Who, who the hell, you know, plays that? And consistently as good. We're not talking about and you know, and very seldom injured mm. compared to the modern mob, wasn't it? And if Martin O'Neill 
got his act together and got us into those Champions League places, he would have stayed at Villa. Yeah. He only went on because he, he saw it was a dead end. And getting back to the twilight of his career, there was a potential chance because he wanted to return to the area that he would come back to Villa. But Villa got relegated and so uh, he had to go and end up at the Albion. By the way, I've, I, I share the same barber as uh, Gareth Barry. He's, he's a mate of Gareth Barry's, so I know. Oh, and good. Know a few things about Baza. <laughs> not, not for this podcast. That will be for the X-rated podcast uh, that uh, is, will be a patron-only show. Hopefully, patrons that went grasses up to the authorities. I suppose when you're talking about the last week, Sheffield United still is there. But the last two games, and even Sheffield United, I suppose, uh, Mings obviously looks really good. I mean, he's pretty much the only player that doesn't get cat called with abuse at Villa Park nowadays. Courtney House, I thought, was uh, improved vastly against the Albion. Elphick was all right and was unlucky when his header bounced off the bar. I think the turning point ends. I don't think Villa did enough to uh, get anything else from the game apart from being beaten. But if Abraham had scored that uh, chance where he was clean through, mm. and I've noticed this is not the first time where I think it was Green had the ball. Abraham's totally free. It's an obvious ball for Green to play. You know, he's, he's there. Unless he's blind, he's going to play him <laughs> in. And Abraham is pointing, he's screaming, he's waving his arms around. And when the ball that's coming anyway comes he's so off balance because he's been waving mm. his hands and pointing that his first touch completely lets him down and that happened before I think yeah, it was uh, Balassi yeah Balassi played him through yeah, I think against the album uh, away and he was like waving his arms screaming at uh, Balassi Balassi slipped him through and he, he was off balance because he was flapping around so much so if I was a coach at Villa I would just you know give him a bit of video playback and say look we pay this guy on the wing to play this ball if you're free, he's going to play it. So you don't need to like it's, it's, it's his like job. A it's a sure thing, isn't yeah. it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, is it with Green? That's the thing. Well, well let's not slug off Green just yeah. yet. Save that. Save that until save next time. But no, so there is that. Uh, but that's, I mean, that's part of the parcel of his enthusiasm, and and you can't fault mm. his effort and endeavour because he's running around like a madman. Mm. And if he was a bit more stationary, I think it would be even more apparent how isolated he is from the mm. midfield. I mean, yeah. Conor Horahan, he makes a pass. When he's in the uh, opponent's half, he makes the pass. He play it out wide or he play it on the inside. And then he just stops. Mm. He should carry on running to, A, provide another option and also, B, to link up with Abraham and get closer to what him. Do you, um, I mean, taking taking Horahan because he's the he's the whipping boy of late, isn't he? And, you know, gr- grown-up discussion time. What's, what's going on there? I don't know. I think it's... I have my own theory and I've had one for a little while, but I'll let Dave go first. Yeah, just watching him. I mean, and sometimes I do deliberately just, you know, follow him uh, when I'm watching Mm. the game and seeing what he's doing off the ball. And there's a few times when he's in the, when he's in his own half, he'll be ball watching. He he gets drawn to the ball and he, he doesn't seem to be aware of what's happening off the ball. So you'll have the opposition midfield runners running behind Mm. him. And he's going towards the ball and leaving them we free. Saw against Sheffield United particularly, didn't we? Yeah, and so there's that problem. And then going forward, as I've just explained, there's that moment where he, he, he passes and then he stands stationary. I mean, sometimes you know players do that to, to give an out ball back just in case the player he's played it to is you know he's crowded out or whatever he can obviously knock it back to him but in many circumstances he'd, he'd have been better served running on and overlapping or cutting inside to 
give that player a chance to either flick it on or you know thread him through and then if, if he threads in Horahan you know behind in between the midfield and the defense then he's he's suddenly in that space where he can then feed through Abraham and you know slide rule pass or whatever and he just seems a bit static mm. so for me it's his off the ball game because when he's on the ball he's he I mean after Abraham he's responsible you know for the second amount of Villa goals either from assists or you know from his own uh, feet and you know set pieces he's you know he's the odd one worldy long shot more so last season but you know his, his corner deliveries are pretty poor this season as well they're, they're rarely beating the first man so I don't know what is it confidence actually not having that natural awareness and you know game midfielder game off the ball I think it's a number of things with Horahan but I've, I've been thinking this for a while in that when we bought him he was the he was one of those signings that you get the highlight reel and you go oh wow you know he scores great goals but He's, he was always going to stand out in a very, very average Barnsley team. And I just think maybe he's, his ability has plateaued and the, and the role that Smith wants him to play, it just doesn't necessarily work for him. You know, he's not physical enough to play in that role, I don't think. Teams just run through him. Um, he's not nasty enough in the tackle. As you said, he's very tidy with the ball, but is he being asked to do something he's not necessarily that good at doing? Grealish uh, not being around, would you have played him in that role further up? Because he, he's, yeah. he can shoot. Yeah. He can I shoot. Mean, so as you said, I would play him further forward, but Bruce also played him further back, deeper. And I just thought, well, he, defensively, his game's not up to scratch. He just doesn't read it that well. Surely his game is more further forward because we haven't got many impact players like him. I mean, he's he's no stranger to the assists. He's the fourth highest no. uh, assist maker in the, in the whole league. Yeah, and I think when you put him in good positions, I think his delivery is generally good. And, he, and anyway, we know he can score goals. He's got a knack of getting on the end of things. I just think he's... With his skill set, I think he's kind of wasted where he is. Yeah. Um, would he benefit a game pushed further? I think he'll he'll probably end up staying where he is for the time being. You know, for the, for the next few games, obviously with McGinn being out, suspended, and Grealish sort of being eased back in off the bench, I would imagine. So, but I'd imagine if if he was given the option, he'd like to play further forward, where he would probably feel he can impact a game. Yeah. Anything to add, Dan? No, I don't. I don't want it to become the, the Horahan show. I just find it very interesting because, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> introducing the Connor Horahan yeah, show. It yeah, it would, it would need a highlights reel, I think. Problem is, he's suffering a lot from the crowd, mm. and it can't help when you're in a stadium of you know thirty nine thousand or however many, it, and people are calling you Paddy Bastard yeah. and mm. Irish, Irish this and Irish that. Mm. I know I don't agree with any of that sort of stuff, and I'm certainly I would never condone you know singling out players, but I think one of the things with Hurahan is and it's always been the case with Villa in recent seasons and it, it's been thrown at the team as well is that the fans are almost waiting for the inevitable mistake mm. and the player probably thinks in his head the crowd are waiting for me to make a mistake so of yeah. course you play it safer and safer. Do you think the club are, are in part responsible because players like Hurahan and there have been others are are bought by the football club and, and paraded as being almost like the messiahs if you like that the you know that through him we will you know achieve salvation and get back to the Premier League. And the reality is that we're, we're taking a big gamble, hoping that, as you, as you said, that his quality doesn't plateau. And for me, it's it's very simple with Hurahan. I think he's got some very, very good attributes. Um, I think he, I think he'd be an excellent. I think he's an impact player, possibly. And I also think that he he, he would be in a midfield that perhaps has that has another runner and another maybe another physical player uh, in or around him. Because I, I, I won't go as far to say he's a luxury player. He started the season off as a uh, impact player off mm -hmm. the bench. I mean, he he was coming in off the bench, and just to defend him mm -hmm. in terms of Bruce's six 
permanence that he signed in January, his main window that was meant to build his the mm. you know the the foundations of his team. He is the only one who's actually stepped up in any shape or form. Mm. I, I mean, Lansbury's Hogan, Bjarnason, Taylor. I mean, he's head and shoulders above them in terms for, of his and, contribution and for the money as well. The you know the, yeah. the outlay yeah. for his investment. Do you, do you think he might argument. be having a touch of 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 the Petrovs about him? And I'm not making a comparison in terms of quality, but there was a period when when Stylian Petrov probably quite early in his Villa career. He couldn't make a pass, and he, yeah. there was a there was a moment where he got hooked off. Maybe maybe the Albion uh, substitution could be Hurahan's equivalent, where you know you almost need to push the reset button on certain players. And uh, as I think Smith perhaps needs to think about how he uses him, but Horahan maybe needs to think about what you know. He's he's the focal point in that midfield for creativity, especially in the absence of Grealish, um, and and how he feeds into that. Is, is quite important. Yeah, I think I think he should be playing further forward, and I think this is something we always said uh, back in the Bruce days as well. Uh, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of the Connor Horahan show. Uh, talking about toxicity, I mean, as well as uh, racial slurs to players, you've got racial slurs to fans. I think I was speaking to a guy, although he's born in Birmingham, he's uh, Indian by descent and he, he said he, he walked out of I think it was the Holt uh, when they were 3-0 down and he got spat on mm. for walking out uh, we had a letter from Adam uh, sorry Adam I've only just mentioned this now but uh, Adam says uh, he's 32 and mixed race he said uh, in that game against Cardiff last season uh, when we got dominated 3-0 Kenneth Zahor had a shot keeper saved it and the lad behind me decided that was reason enough to scream fuck off you black bastard at him I half lost my temper pointed out that half of our team was black and he was a fucking idiot it took all my willpower to not do something stupid plus some support from my missus i managed to calm down enough just to tell him and a mate to move away from me and go and stand elsewhere on reflection i really wish i'd gone to a steward stroke police but you know hindsight is 2020 he said uh, he's 32 and uh Grew up hearing Villa fans calling players black and then lots of asterisks when they miscontrolled or messed up or scored, you know, or the, or somebody scored against us. This was the 90s, so I, I know it's nothing like the preceding decades, and I'm not saying it was at every game, but it left enough of a mark on me. I'm a season ticket holder in the upper halt and generally still get anxious when a black player on either team does something shit or an opposition player scores, antagonizes the crowd. Without doubt, it's a small minority now, and I would agree with you that compared to other clubs, Villa is very multicultural and it isn't as ingrained like somewhere else like Chelsea. But I just wanted to highlight, I've heard racism from Villa fans as recently as last season and the prospect of it happening affects my matchday experience every time I take my seat on the halt. So, I mean, I think we we were talking, uh, this letter came in, uh, we were talking a few mm. podcast episodes ago uh, about how we thought that racism, had, at least in terms of veneer, had left the stands, but uh, you increasingly hear. I mean, I you know when you play Welsh teams or well, sorry, Welsh players, you get the Welsh bastard, sheep shaggers, and all that, you know, Swansies, which people thinks banter. And it- I think what I've always noticed with the the Villa fans is when things are going well, they're always going well. When things are going badly and the toxicity kicks in, some of the behaviour you see when the fact the fans are getting the red mist is and I'm sure this is the same with other clubs it really brings out the worst I've always thought the veneer this club, is stretch, yeah, stripped off the, the, the last few times we've been at Wembley there's been so many incidents in the stand where you see Villa fans fighting Villa fans and it was the same when the third goal went in against Sheffield United and the mass exodus started and there was all sorts going on up in the 
top of the whole mm. end. And I just thought, this is embarrassing. Yeah. And and against mm. West Brom, there was an incident in the uh, the Holt suite. I, I wasn't there, but uh, apparently somebody threw a bottle of drink at somebody. And the person who threw it, I think, left. And the person who uh, the bottle hit or went in that direction of, he confronted somebody else thinking it was them and refused to believe it wasn't, even though they were saying the guy's gone outside. And I think it all kicked off from there. Punches were thrown. And I think there was another altercation. Uh, and it, yeah, it kind of spins off from just the... It's how the frustration of what's happening on the field manifests itself. And, I think it's, uh, we, we've discussed it before. It's this. It's almost this hangover from just 10 years of utter garbage mm. that the Villa fans' patience is so thin and the, the sort of resilience to bad news, if you want to call it that, a, a misplaced pass or whatever. It, the fans just blow up. I mean, when people say, oh, Villa fans this, Villa fans that, it's, it's every football club. The support is is but a cross-section of society. Obviously, you've got all sorts. So you've got arseholes in there. Especially online. You've got, yeah, especially online. You've got uh, good folk. You've got, you know, sound folk, some mentalists. There's, you know, there's a mixture. But when you get arseholes, I mean, I don't mind calling them out and shining a light. So like on this podcast, if we if we've called out Villa fans for something and somebody says on Twitter oh bagging out Villa fans like I was you know for the Villa fans who were trying to uh, get Tyron Mings uh, hung drawn and quartered uh, accusing him of stamping on that player he thinks that we're calling out Villa fans we're not calling out Villa fans we're calling out the particular people who were saying it because everybody's different no I mean I, I agree with all of that and uh, well, I was just going to frame it in the context that, I, that there is something different in the modern game to what went before you know that they're you know, I, I I didn't go to football through the the hooligan era, but I, you know, I can think of games that we used to go, especially when I was when I was very young with with my dad, where we would go to to places like like St Andrews, and you know, those were genuinely toxic, borderline dangerous environments. Um, I think the weird thing in in the in the uber modern era with Villa is people's ability to not be able to hold a different opinion and not feel and not become irate yeah. about it. And I don't know, is that the social media thing? I mean, we we both know from running big websites that, I mean, I'm not particularly careful in what I put out. I think about what I put out, but it always baffles me how people will draw some conclusion and become, I don't know, incredibly polarised by something that really doesn't require it. And and you see that in the stands occasionally now, that, that people can't debate it. There's one trend in, uh, let's say, what's happened with uh, the internet in terms of reporting, and and it's and it's not like the uh, well, it is a little bit the local newspapers, but mainly these football websites, which are essentially part of advertising networks, mm. your uh, snack media ones, uh, which are like this is football, and I think football league news H-I-T-C. and HITC, where they run these articles where they'll collect five or six tweets from fans slagging a player off and they'll put the headline Villa fans say it's time to bin Horahan Villa fans hate uh, Courtney House Villa fans hate this Villa fans get rid Mm. of this Villa fans say he's the worst player ever to wear a claret and blue shirt and the only justification for these articles is it's fucking just clickbait, obviously. Mm-hmm. It's all about the headline to create a scandal. Mm-hmm. All it is, a f- few sentences and then just five or six tweets from some idiots. Just it's fabrication, to that clickbait agenda. It's absolute fabrication, and that's very dangerous. All these idiots are doing slagging off players. And, you know, constructive criticism is, is completely mm. fine. But slagging off players, all they are, they're just like puppets to these ad agency stroke football sites just to make some ad revenue because they're just taking their tweets and uh, 
putting them in these, uh, I call them player hate articles, and then people read this and they go, oh, yeah, everybody hates Horahan, and then that manifests itself onto the stands because people like to be sheep and there's not many individuals out there and they all like to uh, chip in and feel like they're part of it, slagging somebody off because they've you know read these shitty articles. And, and a good example of that at the moment, particularly around the, the toxicity as, as we're just going into talking about, about Dean Smith or debating him, is that, and this is something we've spoken about since the inception of this podcast, is that suddenly, suddenly conversations have become binary. With Dean Smith, you either you're with Dean Smith or you're with against him. No, yeah. actually, no. We no villain fell in their right mind doesn't want him to come good, but it's okay to say, do you know what? Things aren't going as they should be without without someone yeah, and, carrying a knife into Villa Park. You know, and that's the, that's the world we live in. And that happened against. And that Ipswich. happened against Ipswich. Picture the scene: all of your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Partner this with your team playing champagne football. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. There's nothing quite like a McDelivery. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. But let's let's use this as a segue yes. to get on to the, uh, the Dean Smith debate. Mm. Uh, my, my stance on Dean Smith is this. As you said, there's this binary thing. Oh, yeah, Dean Smith, oh, stick with him. We'll guarantee, uh, he'll guarantee, us, he'll get us that. There's no guarantee mm. and, and we'll explain why. But also... Dean Smith was selected to come to Villa. I think it was on the back of the broken Villa engine where the club was desperately looking for a... They had no ethos in the field. They had no identity on or off the field. But they obviously wanted to... I mean, Buddy Moore Heath, what the hell's that all about? It's it's become a joke. So the Villa engine, which never... It just conked out before it was even uh, plugged in or wound up or however it was being powered. It was very nearly wound up. (laughs) So... uh, so the Villa board, in their wisdom, thought, right, well, let's get a manager in to provide attacking football, entertain a brand of football that will obviously put bums on seats and could be the potential to uh, kickstart this club into some direction, you know, casting an eye sideways to the likes of Swansea, you know, Southampton, Brentford, uh, whatever. Dean Smith, shining like a beacon because he's a Villa fan. So they go for Dean After Smith. After Henry turned us down. <clears throat> After Henry turned us down. When you elect politicians, it's normally on a manifesto, and Dean Smith's manifesto was attacking football, entertaining football, and hopefully winning football. We don't really hear that winning football uh, mentioned much. So, first half dozen games, we're getting exactly what it said on his manifesto, and you're thinking, this is good. Now, whether he gets promoted or not, we kind of... I was kind of 50-50. It was like, well, I can kind of understand if he doesn't. Mm. But, I mean, after we whooped uh, Derby and Middlesbrough 3-0 away from home, you're thinking, hey, happy days. Mm. This guy's got us rocking and rolling from the off, and he's probably got the best players he's ever had to mm-hmm. manage. So he's probably had, you know, he's he's, an ex- he's excited in himself, and nobody was saying the players were shit then when they were kicking Derby's and uh, Middlesbrough's asses, and that was completely unexpected. And the way they played had you believe in. But what we've seen in 2019 is not what's in his manifesto. I don't know what's happening. People are are making the comparison and saying, well, what's the difference between this and Bruce? And when you look at the last three games in particular, 
there isn't any difference. This is a team without any identity that you wouldn't even notice has the same actual you know players of, as the one in those first half dozen games. And this is the problem here because when you look at Dean Smith, he is the least qualified manager to come to Aston Villa in my lifetime. And I've seen a few. He's got no pedigree. In terms of winning pedigree, as we pointed out at the start, I mean, I made the joke, uh, good job he's a Villa fan because he's only ever finished ninth with Warsaw or Brentford. And people go, well, he's got lack of resources. That's not an excuse. And we'll we'll throw in some comparisons and, and comparisons that people have been making. And you ask me if those clubs had lots of resources. I think in the lower leagues, if you can manage, most teams in the lower leagues don't have resources. So if you're, it's all about, I think the lower leagues are a better judge of a manager's capability. Mm. And Warsaw fans will say, oh yeah, play nice football, Brentford fans. But Brentford fans and Warsaw fans will also tell you about the defence and also going on long long slumps of form. I mean, Brentford, some of them are chronic. I mean, this is not a binary debate. It's not going to be Dean Smith out or Dean Smith in. I think Dean Smith has to do something in the remainder of the games to get back to this manifesto. I mean, it's a it's an interesting one because obviously we're not going to have half the players, well, probably 3, 75% of the players that he's got now. But he's got to start looking at next season unless something's already happened behind the scenes. I mean, what what's your take on it so far before we kind of get into some of the lazy comparisons that uh, people are offering up as placebos? Uh, my, my observation is that it's... Sorry to no. run. <laughs> no, but they're all valid points. And I think if, we, if we're going to have the grown-up conversation, then 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 it's important that, that all the cards are out on the table. And, and, and I'll caveat it by saying that I, I I think Dean Smith needs time, as as I advocated under Bruce, but there will there will come a time as well where where the Warsaw and Brentford comparisons will, will dissipate because all football fans at this football club have uh, an ambition to see Aston Villa as, as a minimum competing to get back into the Premier League. I think that's our baseline expectation, our minimum expectation. Yeah. The worry of what I've seen so far is He's had injuries, no doubt about it. And he's had key injuries. He lost Grealish to Anzebi and Chester. I think Chester was probably playing yeah. on one leg. The The big concern for me is that we still have a good core of a team. I think we've still got a good squad, expensively assembled. My The glaring issue for me, and it, it's come home particularly against how we came to be 3-0 down against Sheffield United, an abject 3-0 thumping away from home at Wigan, a comfortable victory for West Brom on our pitch, is our complete lack of an of a plan B, which is something Bruce came in for, for major criticism for. Well, our form's actually yeah. worse than, than it was under Bruce. And my, my worry is that we don't seem to change things in game. And what's, what's the plan now to get us back into winning ways? What's the, who are the players on the periphery? We, we talked at length about Hurahan. You know, isn't there another combination of midfield that we could be doing? Isn't there any support we could be providing from another striker or from a, from a, look at Al Ghazi. I think we've got an immensely talented player there who we've not managed to use in the entire time that Grealish has been off. Well, you see, I just interrupt you there. My friend was saying, uh, Mr. Blick, who's probably will listen mm. to this show. He said he was li- he was sitting uh, at, Villa, at Villa. I forgot which game it was. He was sitting next to two Ajax fans who just happened to be at Villa Park, and they were laughing at El Ghazi every time he touched the ball. They were laughing and mm, and basically ridiculing him from what they had seen uh, back in the day at Ajax. But I mean, that's one example. But uh, another example is you know, a friend of mine said he had potential and he was kind of good on the ball. He held the ball really well sorry going back to what you're saying we've seen enough from him to suggest he has a he can be very useful and a potent force it's just we have 
pieces to play, but I don't think we're playing them, are we? No, and and that that's I can see and I understand what Dean Smith's trying to do, but you can't. The way I framed it was that how, how long do you persevere with a philosophy whilst it's faltering? And that's not to say you can't return to that philosophy. Um, my view when he came to the club was that at Brentford or at Warsaw that you can play to a style, but you are ultimately going to be limited in, I don't know, raising it to becoming a, a very competitive or a league winning team, possibly on, not necessarily on resource, but on attracting players that, that lift you above other teams in that division and that's something that even this season with the squad we've got and the trouble we've been through I still think we've got them a, a squad that's that's assembled that can compete I do believe that I don't think it's necessarily the yeah, best I team do. in the league but I think we can compete Chris Chris has said several times on the podcast that Dean Smith's way and I'm, I'm going to read you some of the runs he's mm. had at Brentford Dean Smith's philosophy works if the team is playing that ethos spot on. Yeah. If it's not yeah. tight on its high press, then it's really open to the counter attack. And this is why, and and this is from a uh, a Brentford fan who, who wrote about Dean Smith uh, after he left. Dean Smith was well known for his patchy runs at Brentford. In his first season, he had a run where Brentford lost ten out of thirteen games. Mm winning two and drawing one, before then winning seven out of nine. I mean, losing 10 out of 13 games, you're sacked from most clubs. Mm. This is his first season. Obviously, Brentford finished fifth in the first se- uh, the first season in the championship, and then Smith took over. I think they finished 10th in this season. Following season, I think they finished ninth. We went on a run which saw us win five out of 21 games, including the 3-0 win against Villa, and they lost 11 of those. Mm. Last season, we won only one match in our first 11. This season, when Dean Smith left us, we hadn't won for six matches. And they hadn't actually won an away game uh, this season either. So these are some horrific runs of form, which pretty much rubber stamp you as a mid-table team. And that explains why he's never finished higher than ninth ever. And this is what we're in the middle of now. So there's something... This is not the first time this has happened to a Dean Smith team. It, this repeatedly happens. And due diligence, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have got him in on based on this. It's a certain amount of I'll call it footballing naivety. I've I've, I've, I've spoken about this before that so many fans, so many teams, managers, they have this I call it Guardiola envy. Mm. Everybody wants to play this stunning ball retention, continental style of football. That's brilliant. If you're Manchester City and you've got fifty million pound players in every position yeah. who are more than technically capable mm. of doing mm. that. On on the other side of that, when they don't have the ball, they work harder than any team in this country, Man City. Yeah. Isn't it like a, a three second rule or whatever to get the ball back? Yeah. You're talking about exceptional individuals. These are a cut above pretty much any team we've seen play in the Premier Division era, I would argue, in terms of philosophy and style. The you know, the unbeatable Arsenal teams are close. But you know, a lot of the Fergie teams were a lot more functional. Yeah. With Villa, I I just throw at him that he hasn't got that ability, as I said in previous podcasts, when it's not bang on the money, like at Derby, where we were utterly dominant yeah. and completely monopolised the ball and just played him off the park in every way. Middlesbrough was the same. Yeah. And we got chances, we took them. If anything goes slightly off kilter or you come up against a team who has a plan to negate you, like the Baggies did, and I thought Sheffield United were mm. the same. You know, Both teams without massively standout individuals but just really well-oiled units. Brentford were a well-oiled unit and they got the job done. And I think what he has to, he'll have to learn at Villa 
and he's maybe going to have to learn in his career is that he's going to have to be a bit pragmatic every now That's and then. That's a good and, point. And say, as we've said with a plan B, and saying, do you know what? I want to play open, attractive football. But like with, like, I would say, like a Ferguson team, you know, on their day, they could batter anyone by playing expansive, amazing football. Yeah. But when it came down to the nitty gritty, if they had to go away from home and play rough and fight and grab one off someone's backside in the 93rd minute of Fergie time, they could do that as well. And I just I don't see Dean Smith as a, a, a pragmatic manager who can, as you said, like a plan B or a plan C. His teams don't play badly and win. The biggest cliche in football is to be a successful team, you have to play, be able to play badly mm. and win. And if, for example, we're not pressing tight enough in the Dean Smith way, and Brentford fans have said this, they were so susceptible to the counter. And the amount of times that diagonal ball, because we haven't closed down somebody and he's had a couple of seconds to look up and they've delivered that ball, diagonal ball to the wings and suddenly Hudson or Taylor's suddenly got two men running at him breathing down his neck he's outnumbered straight away and that's how we've been cut open numerous times against Hull against QPR against Forest against Sheffield United you need you need legs and you need you know a real high levels of fitness to play the way Smith wants them to play because you're going to do a lot and of I running think that the, the the issues that are really hurting us are aren't as complicated as as you rightly say this Guardiola style that you you know you can't run before you walk can you and for me, no. I think Smith would have had so much more, um, I, I, I say the phrase, easy wins, but it, it, it's a truism in football, I guess, in this case. If he'd have focused solely upon shoring up the defence, because it's months now yeah. where we start yeah. football games where you think we're going to need to score two we're or three goals really to win this game. We started, aren't we? Yeah. And that you can't, you can't go into games knowing that. I haven't checked in the last couple of weeks, but his average under Smith, we were conceding two goals a game at Villa Park. And considering we just conceded another two, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's uh, around that figure at the moment. Since we conceded three against three against Sheffield United, so we are concede we are needing three goals minimum. You know, and that, against a backdrop of last season, you know, we, we went we were virtually unbeaten at Villa Park. It was it's it's gone on its head really. Yeah. I mean, I I remember using you know, the, the stat that we laughed at before the Blues game, but it was true last season and in previous seasons. Really, if Villa took the lead at Villa Park, we weren't losing. Yeah. We yeah. scored first. It was like, well, you, you, the maximum you get out of this. Is the point was with Villa, you know, it, like you look at the Leeds game, you think, you know, tuning up against most yeah. teams. No, no one was confident. Yeah, no. No. Yeah, no, I mean, as, as I said on the podcast after the Leeds game, I, I turned to the person sitting next to me at Villa Park and said, we're going to need three. <laughs> <laughs> at half time, I said, we're going to need three. <laughs> Sheffield United, we're going to need four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nottingham Forest, we're going to need six. <laughs> it's like the Jaws film. It's like, it's like we're going to need a bigger boat. We're going to need a smaller goal. <laughs> we're going to need a bigger keeper. <laughs> well, we've got a big keeper now, six foot seven, and he's still getting lobbed oh, by Luke. Looping headers. <laughs> when he, when he was lying on the ground looking at the sky uh, when injury. he got injured just before half time, I was just yeah, I was just saying to the uh, person next to me, he's just looking at the sky and saying, "Get me out of here!" And I said, "He's he's told that physio to get me an Uber at half time, get me out of here." And then he didn't turn up for the second <laughs> half. I thought, bloody hell! I'm <laughs> I was only joking, but it seems to have come to pass. We mentioned Leeds, and the thing I'll throw to Leeds and Norwich this season is the amount of times I've walked out the villa and seen that our leads are still playing and they've nicked a last minute win or a draw yeah, or, that's when you that's another good sign these teams are just you know when when someone goes and gets the result at villa park that leeds did you think this is a team that's going up yeah. and the same with norwich they, they've had multiple games where they've won it late and we're saying you know you can't say dean smith out now because 
managers need time. And, and when you look back at the summer of what happened at Villa, I mean, uh, we didn't even know we would have a club at one stage. I mean, that may be an over-exaggeration, but it was pretty pathetic. And so you thought, well, I wouldn't put any money on us getting promoted uh, this forthcoming season. So there's that in the back of your mind. You know there's a big overhaul. New new owners have come in, new board. Obviously, we've uh, flipped a manager and we're battling financial fair play. But I thought the squad they actually put together was good enough to get in the playoffs. I mean, I expect Villa to get challenged for automatic, but I thought, okay, I'm happy to scrape into the playoffs. And that team, the way we looked uh, suddenly when Smith came along, you thought, the way we dealt with Derby, Middlesbrough, who will be in and around those playoffs, uh, I fancy us against anybody in the playoffs, to be honest, more so this time round than uh, last season. So he needs time. The question is, though, and that's the big question. I mean, as I said, for us to be all uh, comfortable and to give him that time, he needs to deliver that manifesto of what I was talking about at the top this attacking football and we haven't seen that in pretty much the whole of 2019 so you look around social media and you know certain people who uh, try to push themselves out as uh, the voice of Aston Villa fans uh, and they want to comment every time even though if they're not at games or whatever and they start to come out with these very lazy comparisons Uh, and the bottom line is this manager needs time and of course other managers have had time and they've been successful but The Smith thing, he hasn't got any pedigree, so you cannot guarantee that he will be a success. The bottom line is he has to deliver the reason why we got him in in the first place, and that's how we judge him. He's not doing it at the moment. He needs to do something before the end of the season, I I feel. But people look at Daniel Fark at Norwich and say, well, he he was doing bugger all last season. Look at Norwich. They were shedding their best players, but look at them now. And uh, Dean Smith will do exactly that. Well, you know, Fark does have uh, pedigree because in the lower leagues of Germany, you know, he took uh, SV Lipstadt 08 uh, to double promotion, a couple of promotions in the lower league. I think they went from like the, the sixth German league to the fourth before he came over. And it's what I was talking about, this p- lower league pedigree, like Chris Wilder, Sheffield United, won the conference with Oxford United, went to Northampton, won the League Two with Northampton, then went to the Blades, won Division One. So he knows how to get his team over the line, which suggests they know how to defend, they know how to organise teams to be a winning unit, to win ugly as well as, you know, win on the front foot. Somebody said, oh, this, this, you know, this just reminds me exactly of when Brian Little took over to try to put this kind of romanticism that Dean Smith is the man. Because people have been saying, Dean Smith, 100% guaranteed he will turn it around. And you can't do that. I'm not saying you won't, but I'm not saying there's no guarantees because he has shown no pedigree. Brian Little, he's got nothing to do with Dean Smith. It's not an equivalent at all. When Little took over from Ron Atkinson, in the Little's best season, when he won the League Cup, got in the semi-final of the FA Cup and finished fourth, Mark Bosnick, Paul McGrath, Ugo Ekiog, Dwight York were all in the team, and Andy Townsend was the captain, mm-hmm. and Steve Staunton was an integral part. And these were all Ron Atkinson players, obviously. Obviously, Paul McGrath was brought in by uh, Graham Taylor. But these were players that were already there. The spine of that team of a very good team that he took over that obviously just lost its way a little under Big Run was already there. But more importantly, Brian Little had pedigree, winning pedigree as a manager. Consecutively had won the conference title with Darlington, had won the fourth division, League Two now, in consecutive seasons. Then when he went to Leicester, he got into the what is now the championship, the playoffs, three years on the trot. 
and eventually won the last one to get Leicester promoted to the Premier League. And for which, for that team, Martin O'Neill took a lot of the credit, but it was actually Little's team. Exactly, and obviously mm-hmm. O'Neill went on to win a couple of League Cups mm-hmm. with them. And Little came to Villa as a young manager who's I think around six years younger than Smith was when he took over. Mm-hmm. So there's no comparison between Little and Smith. I, th- I think with, with, with Little compared to Smith, what you saw when when Little arrived was, he, you know, he had that similar sort of wobble. I think it took him six games to get the first win. But then through December to March, they lost one in 11. And he'd, unlike Smith, where a lot of this the, the dealings he's done alone players, you know, he had a, he had a, a core... You had players it was like a very Barrett. good, very good core. Yeah, very good core. But you had players like you know Earl Barrett, Whittingham, your, your captain in Kevin Richardson, Parker, Houghton, people like that all got jettisoned very quickly. And he knew that okay, I want to bring my guys in. And he went out and bought Johnson and Charles and Wright, who over the coming two or three seasons became integral players. Obviously, he brought in Ian Taylor. You know, he he did the heavy lifting, if you want to call it that quite quickly and realised that, okay, these guys aren't going to be He was also here. quite radical as well. That You know, he adopted a, yeah, with, a, a with wing-back system. system that was quite revolutionary in England at the time. Yeah. Yeah, he, he built it very early so that the next season, I think he only brought in three players, didn't he? It was obviously yeah. Southgate, Draper and Milosevic. And he even had the courage to say, do you know what, Saunders and Atkinson have been your main guys that, you know, shot you to second in the Premier League and won you a cup and they're gone. Yeah, but the bottom line was... We got him because he had winning pedigree. He had yeah. achievements and it wasn't just because he used to play for Aston Villa mm-hmm. or was a Villa fan. And I'm sorry, but uh, you look at Graham Turner, who uh, had a hand in dismantling us as European champions. But Turner, like Smith, spent his playing days as a central defender in the lower leagues. Turner actually won League One with Shrewsbury and then in five seasons uh, in the what would be now the championship, his highest finish was eighth, which obviously is very similar to Smith's ninth. And that was his crowning achievement uh, that Doug Ellis brought him in because he just thought this was one of the brightest young English managers. Nobody had heard of him at the time. Doug Ellis had to do a bit of a second-hand car salesman uh, job on us all just to uh, convince him that this was the future. And, uh, you know, within two seasons, uh, he was out of there and uh, we were on our way to get relegated. The same applies with some of the, yeah, there's been comparisons to like the, yeah, the first season of O'Neill, but I'd apply the same with, with, uh, with Little in that O'Neill... Shitloads of money. Yeah, and, and he, he knew that he wanted to get rid of players, but he brought in you know the likes of Young and Carew, Petrov, these kind of guys. He really did that heavy lifting of, right, I'm going to use this season, I will develop it for next season. I don't see at the moment the plan where you think, oh, okay, do you know what, that, that's the spine next season. O'Neill had winning pedigree as a manager, obviously, in Celtic and Leicester. He'd won things, he'd won things. Yeah. So nobody can guarantee, I've seen you know people who run websites, whatever, 100% guarantee Smith will be, and it's this romanticism because he's a villain and you can't guarantee other fans anything about Smith because he's never proved it. This was hopefully, as we used to say uh, early doors, hopefully he has this philosophy and this bigger canvas that Villa will give him hopefully helps him fulfil that ideology in the best you know, best possible way that he's never been able to in the past because he's been essentially, no disrespect to them, but managing Tim Pot teams, pub teams. to give them their proper name (laughs) the the depressing reality is our season is all but over in mid-february so now you want to see 
the signs and you know the the seeds being sown of next season, them getting their shit together. And as early this as is possible. where I I stick my nose in because this is the if the season is over in February, ordinarily I would say, I would I wouldn't say I'd shrug my shoulders, but you could say, well, you've got three months now as your sandbox to find who in the squad you want to keep, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The trouble is, we've got so many loans, so many players who we probably know we don't want to keep or here's the uncomfortable truth, can't afford to keep, that's, you know, if, if, assuming we're still down here, that you're going to see wholesale change anyway. And it, it does make me intrigued to see what, what will happen over the next three months and what could possibly be quite a quite a disappointing run of fixtures, not only before all the reasons that we've said, but actually what, what how is Smith going to plan plan for the future? And are we going to see more Ramseys appearing? Are we going to see different formations? Or, or are we going to try and play to this philosophy using what we've got? It's a bit clunky for me, and I think it could uh, it could polarise people. You've got a problem, Dan, if, uh, let's say, I don't know, we get a draw against Stoke. Mm. Uh, Derby, it's not a walk in the park, and then we play the Blues without having won in the, well, what will it be? It'll be like uh, two wins, in, fif- about, two wins yeah. in 15 games going into that oh. game. And if the Blues beat us, we haven't beaten the yeah. Blues at St Andrews since we've been down it. If they beat us, how is life going to be for Smith? Well, I, I dropped my phone the other day and, and, and someone who shall remain nameless sent me a WhatsApp and, and within the message it said, once we're mathematically safe. Ah, yes. <laughs> and it suddenly dawned upon me that <laughs> it's awfully tight, isn't it? The middle bottom third of the, uh, of the championship all of a sudden. You know, we could go down as far as 16th or 17th position yeah, in the next two weeks. Game. Is that right? Is that- I think. Uh, well, are you relying on other teams to do the do the work? One below us yeah. has got a game on us, so actually we could plummet. <laughs> so, so the reason we're saying this is if Smith is to be afforded time, he has to show evidence mm. of he is playing attacking football. But we have, we don't have the easiest of fixture lists, and we have pivotal games like if you're losing against the Blues away, which will make the you know the toxic mm. Avengers of uh, <laughs> of the crowd. Uh, kind of boil up and they'll start calling for him and it's going to be uncomfortable. I mean, Blues Away is one of those games where actually he's got an opportunity to salvage a bit of pride. Yeah, he can shut them up. He wins that and he's he's brought himself to the end of the season without any real uh, issues, I would say. So there, there is a potential get out of jail card there. If he wins that, if he loses that, it doesn't really alter the bigger picture for me he has to show evidence that because uh, he hasn't got the pedigree it's like getting a loan from the bank he's got no security because he's got no p- pedigree of winning things he's never shown that he can do something before and in terms of the, the derby game you know win lose or draw the fact that we currently sit beneath a team that's had a transfer embargo and hasn't bought any players says a hell of a lot about the club as an overall entity you know on and off the field that's like another podcast in its entirety I mean the only uh the main reason why I'm I'm saying, well, you know, obviously Smith, while no pedigree, you should have thought that at the time of, you know, employing them. But uh, why you hang on to the hope that potentially he could be the way forward is they were so devastatingly good against uh, Borough, mm-hmm. against Derby, that you thought, hang on a minute, there's potential there. And it's just seeing that it's just like a little insight, even though it wasn't a lot in the context of what we've had to put up with over the last few months. It was enough to... Keep the candle of hope burning in terms of Dean Smith. Completely. And so that's why you're giving him the benefit of the doubt. But I'm expecting more in these. I mean, if the baggies beat us at Villa Park, no problem if we've given them a mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. And But we gave them a game at their patch, but this seems to be, it's not even the same team. 
okay, Grealish is gone, but I'm sorry, but Grealish, Grealish played and Tuanzebi played in that game where we drew 5-5 against Forest, where you saw the good, bad and the ugly of Dean, a Dean Smith team in that in that game. And there's no excuse. Grealish out, you should have a unit that's organised, that can defend, that can grind out draws, but also stay solid and then nick a goal because hey ho you know we've got Tammy Abraham up front and we used when we did have some exciting wingers and we could create chances so we'd always get a chance or two and by the way I think we're the third highest we've had the third highest shots on on goal in in the league I think it's 14.1 per game so we've created chances we just needed to tighten up at the back and if we just turn four, you know, three or four of these draws into wins, which we're more than capable of, then we'll be still talking about the playoffs. I mean, we've we've said it numerous times, haven't we? How we could have been pretty bloody average this season and still been challenging. Yeah, when Grealish went out, you just thought, well, we just got to keep it together, grind it out, grind out a few wins here and there, and stay in touch. Stay in touch. He comes back. We'll finish off the job, get in the playoffs. Uh, okay, he was probably the potential difference if we were firing on all cylinders to, for actually automatic. But he still hasn't proved himself. Yeah. You know, Grealish started 21 games this season. And this is meant to be the best player in the championship, according to Dean Smith. Never proven that. Never finished a whole season. 21 games, two goals, four assists. Yannick Balassi, everybody slagged him off. Villa fans slagged him off, as they do. Started nine games, scored two goals, four assists, exactly the same as Jack Grealish. Came on as a sub, I think, 12 times. So 21 appearances each, but Grealish obviously played many, many more minutes and started 21 games to his nine. Grealish is playing in that number 10 role most of the time. He's the furthest forward behind Abraham. He's the best player in the championship, allegedly. He's meant to be changing games. He scored two goals, four assists. That's I'm sorry, but that is not that impactful. Okay, when he's got the ball, he's drawing free kicks, he's drawing fouls, he's creating space for other people because he's drawing in two or three players. But is he making that much of an impact? I'd argue not. He's not winning matches with key stats. Well, it's end product, isn't it? It's that old sort of chestnut. So he's not an excuse for Villa's... Uh, for one man going out of the team that changes the whole dynamic of the team, and this team is listless. Because if Villa were playing entertaining football, as and playing as they were in the first half dozen games, and we were still getting the same results, I don't think there would be that lashing out from fans and that kind of toxicness because uh, they've been sold down the river because this man's suddenly changed the whole way that he plays. It's kind of strange. So what do you what do you think he needs to do with the remaining uh, fixtures apart from beat the Blues, obviously, which would obviously buy him some time just to wrap up here. I mean, it's it's using him using his time wisely, isn't it? It's working out who of the the guys who are currently on loan with options to buy are likely to stay. It's the behind the scenes stuff will be well. Do you think you know to players? Are you going to be here next season realistically? Because if I if you don't think you are, I'm going to have to make a decision on whether I choose to play you, put you in a shop window. Yeah, but never mind what? about this. This is what he's doing already. I'm talking about fans putting up with him, thinking uh, like if we drop and we're we finish lower mid table, just above the relegation zone, and we've hardly won a game, people are going to be mm. saying, "What chance have we got?" and 
this, I mean, of all the seasons, this season has given me a, a direct insight into how the likes of Forest have stayed in this league for 20 seasons. Mm. Sheffield Wednesday have stayed mm. 19. Leeds, how many? You know, the last three seasons has whizzed by. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm similar, I guess. I, I've got complete clarity on that too because it's deja vu, isn't it, that we've had in the three years we've been down here. It's just been cycles of the same, just with, you know, different different peaks and troughs, really. For me, for, for Smith and given where we are and all that's gone before, what we know, how good the team can, can possibly be on its day, right down to how, how bad it can be, um, even with the confines of his, his small era, is I think he would do well to get Villa competitive again. I think that you could be... You could be 18th in this division, scrapping around. But if the team's fighting, showing fight, showing an intention to improve, I think fans will buy into that. I'm not saying it's what people will be happy with, because obviously we wouldn't be. But I think the difference between being um, almost... It's the comfortable nature of victories that, that really, really bothers me. And the Albion game sort of, I guess it bottles it, doesn't it? That a team comes to Villa Park under no great pressure for, for, for long periods of the game. And, and they, they get a comfortable victory after after a, a double hit on us. And that's... that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of showing willing, isn't it? It's that word we've used loads of times, is being proactive. Well, I, it's a pragmatism. That, that it's a word that you used. It's a word that I used in my piece. I think that the vast majority of fans are realistic and reasonable. They'll think about the Villa in, in, in terms of where, where we're at. All that's gone before, the dreadful summer that we had, the fact that we were almost out of business, the disaster that was unfolding with Bruce, who realistically would probably have been sacked after his playoff final defeat last summer you you get Dean Smith who wasn't your first choice uncomfortable truth another awkward transfer window you've got dreadful defense with no cover you've got a very unbalanced midfield you know who who would have envisaged you know another long-term injury to Grealish the, the unbalance there and yet at the same time it's juxtaposed against great players like McGinn coming through you've got a great goal scorer in Abraham that's where I'm at <laughs> I mean, it's it's Sod's Law where we finally get a... Uh, it's a bit like when we got Darren Bent, it was too late. Yeah. <laughs> we get Abraham and it's a complete waste of time. And we get Benteke, a complete waste of time. He, I mean, he kept us in the league, but uh, if you had Benteke when we, when Martin O'Neill was in town, we would uh, we would have torn it up. We would have been in Europe without a fucking doubt. I mean, look at look at what makes us happy as fans. That 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 who would have, who would have thought that Hutton steamrolling the Blues midfield and defence and scoring that goal as he did would would become probably run on the, on the highlights reel forever. But what it shows is that Hutton isn't the most talented player in the world, but he's got endeavour and he's got commitment, etc., etc. On Hutton, I have to admit, I've watched the last few games and it only dawned on me halfway in that Brentford game, when I saw the Crapton's armband on Hutton's arm, that was the first time it dawned on me (laughs) that Alan Hutton was the Aston Villa captain. Mm. Quite staggering, isn't it, really? So back in the day when we got him, he was like third choice right back at Spurs. (laughs) And then bomb squad and you admire his effort and it, you know it's it's almost like it's a cult hero for sure and and it's been a journey the alan hudson story is quite a fun uh, footballing story in terms of a, being a cult player and, and his effort is undeniable and on a personal level to go from the bomb squad and out of the door to winning a couple of new contracts and getting the captain's armband is is astonishing in the context of things but it's almost like while the war has been going on and we're getting bombarded he's managed to live in a little hut somewhere unnoticed <laughs> and survived yes <laughs> he's not going to get in any of the premier league teams anymore and yet he's our captain and 
and we had meant to have Dean Smith, who is the super villa supporting version of Pep Guardiola, and yet Alan Hutton is his captain. It doesn't really correlate. Certainly till May. I just want to see us doing simple things well, passing, moving. First ball, second ball, you know. Yeah, there's none of that. There's, there isn't that. And, and that's the, being the worrying thing. It's all disappeared. Like, almost like... It was like a club team, wasn't it? It was embarrassing some of the first touches Villa players had and the shape, lack thereof, and real, you know, fundamental things that professional footballers do in training every day. And, you know, people are talking... You know, people watch Brentford... You know, they've schooled us three times on their patch and they're making it, oh, Dean Smith was behind this, you know, hang on, it's taking him three <laughs> years to do this. And then... I've <laughs> been hanging you know, the whole lifetime. And then, you know, they play Swansea in the cup and Swansea catch them exactly uh, how they used to, you know, catch Dean Smith when he was manager of Brentford on the counter-attack. For, I think it was for the second goal I saw. It was, like, woeful. And, uh, you know, they lost a man, so they went from 2-1 to 4-1. So you could probably make allowances for that. But uh, other teams don't struggle beating Brentford. Could you even make the other the little argument at the moment, Smith just can't buy a break? You know, he can't get his players he wants fit playing and can't even get them on the field. But how many times have we played teams who who have had chronic injury crisis you know we played Preston once and they couldn't even field <laughs> they had 10 players yeah couldn't even we... field first choice defender and we, you know we, I don't, th- don't think we won did we I think we drew yeah we drew away and so we're we're missing a couple of guys and we're crying and blaming the whole season on that where other teams just soldier on get on with it and uh do the job. He'd rested the league's top goal scorer on uh, yeah on the weekend in, exactly. in favour of Scott Hogan. Exactly. <laughs> on that note, <laughs> on that note, that's all you need to know. So the good news is Scott Hogan's touch meter is up and running again. The bad news is Villa are very much standing still, and we are looking just for a sign that the Dean Smith project does actually have legs. Because forget any comparisons, there's no pedigree there, so we can't rely on something that's already happened as collateral or a precedent or evidence we have to for now give him time but i think the rest of the season's a trial really he's he's been given two and a half year contract so they know he's not the done deal because you'd give a manager three to five years mm-hmm. so they'll give him next season obviously because they've invested uh time in the infrastructure so this kind of smith out toxicity isn't really uh i think at the moment viable i think it will step up another level if he hasn't won until they play the blues and then the blues beat us but as we said win it and he's got himself out of jail and i think he exists to the end of the season we'll talk i think about the rebuilding job in another podcast because it's hard to ascertain what resources we'll actually have to uh, undertake that and what kind of commodity are Villa now to attract players? Because as we've said before, the whole, yeah, join Villa, we'll get promoted this season and you'll be playing for a big team in the Premier League. Yeah, that doesn't really wash anymore, that little uh, gambit. (laughs) See you in August. What's our motivation to keep going? (laughs) (laughs) That's the bigger question. Uh... Never mind keeping Smith. Me and Dan have paid for our season tickets and we want to get our money's worth. We want to be part of the park. Right. Oh, it's so bad. So, listeners, uh, for those of you who are already part of the Pride and are considering whether to uh, garden. degrade to being part of the park, we'll leave you with that uh, thought while uh, we head off into the uh, the ether. In the meantime, please do subscribe to uh, 
us on or follow us on Spotify, subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever other app. Also, please do, uh, if you're enjoying the show, please do spread it on Twitter and Facebook. If you get the chance, get it out there to hopefully you will have friends who are also like-minded, who want a bit of entertainment and some serious independent discourse rather than just people saying things to try to attract like some popularity. And also, please do become a patron. That is the best thing you can do at this moment in time to keep us going. Every patron lights up my day when I'm feeling depressed. Sunshine into our lives. Well, it is. I mean, sometimes I feel depressed as fuck thinking, I think it's time to call it a day. But then just knowing that people are willing to back you in that way uh, does stiffen the resolve to uh, carry on. Anyway, until next time, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from them. Goodbye. Hurrah. My old man said. Welcome to the end of season party. Party, party, party. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.